Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. This should be played at high volume. Vickers blocking his teammate. White flag this time. One to go. He's got to block two teammates to win it though. One and He's wide. Way up high and takes the white flag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside you as we recap things from another wild night at Bowman Gray, the second of two in the month of April as we kick off the month of May. We're joined by Jonathan Brown, and there's a lot to get to from last night, including the youngest winner in track history, but we'll, we'll get to that later on in the program. Uh, first matters to attend to with you, Jonathan, uh, winner of one of the two modified races last night. How important was that for you as, you know, we're only two races in to get off the schneid here early? Yeah, so first off, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, you said exactly. It, it's it's always good to, to start the Bowman Gray season off with a win early. Um, kind of gets your momentum going for the season. Uh, we built a new car back over the winter, so this is only – Yesterday was only our second time at the racetrack with the car. Uh, we showed speed the first week, first time out with the car. Uh, we actually qualified on the outside pole for the Hayes Jewelers 200 and uh, backed up the front row start position this week with a pole. Um, so that so that was pretty sweet. So got a first pole of the 2022 season and the first win knocked out of the way. So that's always great momentum to roll off with and, uh, you know, hopefully win eight or nine or ten more. That would be the goal, and and you said it. Uh, built a new car over the winter. That coupled with uh, a new a new track surface. You had the two hundred lapper the first week, and then you kind of get the two shootouts, uh, the twenty five lappers uh, this week. One of which you were able to take home the W N. But um, with building that new car and adjusting to a new racing service surface at the Madhouse, how difficult has that been to adjust to? So usually I have a. Uh you know, a baseline setup I go to the Bowman Gray with. And uh, that's kind of how I unloaded my car. Even though it was a new car, there's a lot of different uh, components on this car. We still kind of went with that baseline setup. And uh, we were we were out in left field. So uh, we've made a lot of changes over the past two weeks. I've about wore the bolts out on a brand new car making changes. But uh, everything we've done to the car is responding well with change. We've gained speed every time on the racetrack. Uh but you you hit on something there the new track surface it's it's tough it's it's going to take some getting used to um you know even though we sit on the pole and won the race yesterday uh i i would still tell you my car is not good um we've still got a long way to go to get the car comfortable for me as a driver where i want it um the car has speed it's just not comfortable um 
the racing surface. I'm not sure if you've been there or talked to many people about it, but they, uh, the pavement is smooth, but the track is very bumpy. Um, it's tough. It's definitely through a wrench and things. Um, switched it up. I'm not going to complain about it because it is, we, we've got what we've got. We're on the same playing field. Uh, but I will tell you, it's quite a bit different racing than what we've seen th there in years past. Uh, as of right now, there's no outside groove. Um, and it also seems to really take three or four laps for the cars to fire off and really start rolling good, having speed. So uh, it's a big adjustment. You know, we're really having to change a lot. And um, I feel like the track's going to continue to change every single week as it rubbers up. And hopefully we get a second groove run in. Um, I, I think we'll be chasing the track for the full 17 weeks of racing. Um, but I will tell you this with the new pavement, I think once, once the outside, uh, groove gets rubbered up good, I think you're going to see some really good side-by-side -side racing and I'll, I'll probably be the first and maybe the only to tell you this, but I think that the outside will be the preferred line once it gets run in. Yeah, that that's a couple. You hit on a few things there that uh, that our good friend Randy Pettit touched on uh, when he was with us last week. That um, there is no second groove here, and you know it's going to take four, five, six weeks, almost half the season, really, to get enough rubber laid down to even create a second line. But you know, as Randy likes to call them, a lot of the bottom feeders that run along the bottom of the racetrack, right there on the apron, that's the only place to go. So there's. You know, there's even less room than there would be uh, on, on, you know, the old surface. And you touched on the, the the bumpiness of it too. That's something that Randy hit on last week. It's just not it's not smoothed out yet. That's something that at the highest level of NASCAR we saw at uh, at the new Atlanta track, where it, it basically was not only was it turned into a mini Talladega, but there's a huge bump. Uh, I believe when you come off of two there onto the back stretch that. Ryan Blaney and a lot of other guys complained about uh, throwing their cars out of whack. So when you say you come into this each of these races with a baseline setup, is this the the you know most amount of changes you've had to make to a race car through the first two races of the season? For sure, uh, you know, and we changed right up to race time yesterday. We changed a lot between races yesterday, just trying to use every. Every time we're on the track, we're using it as a test session. Um, so, you know, before this new pavement, I could have, you know, I've, I've won in eight or nine, ten different cars, something like that at Bowman Gray and Modifieds, and all of them had a fairly about the same setup. But I can tell you now, not only because of my new car, but just because of racing surface, uh, the setup is way different uh, way off base from anything I've ever done there. And, uh, you know, I'm going in the, that's the exact wrong direction as I would normally go to make my car good there. And the car is liking it. The surface seems to be liking it. We're showing good speed. So we're going to continue in that direction and, uh, you know, just ride it out as long as we can. Of course, you've got the wind under your belt here. And, you know, as, as the summer wears on, it's, you know, it, it's going to be a learning curve for everybody, but for somebody like you that's experienced, and I think at some point probably could have driven this, you know, like the back of your hand before it was repaved, 
has it been increasingly difficult every time you've gotten on the track to kind of adjust here? Has it, what, what's, what's, how steep is the learning curve? I guess is the question. Yeah, that, that's the thing, you know, it, it's still, we're still racing around a football field. Uh, it's still two straightaways and four corners, but you know, the, the biggest thing is, uh, the track wasn't very line dependent before and with the bumps like they are, the track's very line dependent now. So, you know, there, there's a couple ways to look at it. I can, I can run my car out a little wider and then turn, take a late apex and kind of hit the center of the corner right in the center. And that's my fastest times. But I also know that in a race, if I'm doing that, somebody's going to drive in up under me, hit me and I'm going to be done. So you can't give up the track position. And I mean lane when I say track position, uh, to make a little more speed. Now, if you're out front by five or six car lengths and you can run your own line, fine, do that. But, uh, tight nose to tail racing, like we see at Bowman Gray, you're, you're not going to have to run that faster line. You're going to have to kind of protect your position. Um, so there's a lot of defense that's going to come into play throughout the season. Um, unless your car is just really, really good. But the thing is, I just feel the track is going to be so line dependent. Um, we're going to be bottom feeding for a while. Uh, but like I said, once, once you see that upper groove start to run in, uh, get some rubber on it, start to really take some rubber. Uh, I think you're going to see some really good, some fast times around the outside. And I'm not sure that it won't be the preferred line around there. Yeah, I think, I mean, basically at some point it's going to become like a little bit of a PJ one up there. It's going to become a traction compound by default at some point and you'll see, Kyle Larson, Tyler Reddick style, basically kissing the wall every lap kind of kind of lines being run. But you said it, this has never been a, a line-dependent track. And I think the first two races in every series, we've seen guys have to drive more defensively um, than offensively um, to protect their positions um, as opposed to not only knocking themselves out, but knocking four, five, six other guys out. I mean, it, it just, it, it kind of seems to me like you're in this situation regardless of the length of any of these races now where you have to remain committed to your line there, there's no time to to play around and find a line and you know you know toy with three or four different lines if you find one early on you have to stick to it because if you try and toy with it and give it up you're six seven eight spots back in the, in the blink of an eye right most definitely so that's the thing the way the bumps are uh you never feel like your car is good because you're basically just trying to get through the bump as smooth as possible and be able to judge what your car is going to do when you make it through. So kind of what we've found to be the fastest is the car is almost, uh, really, really free on entry. And then it kind of gets, you know, drive across the bump as straight as possible. That way, when you hit the other side of it, the car's turned and, and ready to come off the corner. Um, when we first, you know, if we make the car comfortable on entry, then we're way too tight when we go across the bump. We just kind of hit the bump and the car washes up. Um, I, I think it, it has taken some of the fun out of racing there. Um, I know as uh, looking from a fan standpoint, it's taken a lot of the uh, excitement of the restarts away and the and the two, the side-by-side racing. It's taken that aspect away from the fans. Uh, you know, the, the Hayes Jewelers 200 last week, uh, I qualified outside pole and 
we went down the front stretch and by the time I come off turn two, I was sixth. Um, this past week, uh, I qualified on the pole, Tim Brown qualified outside pole. We went down in turn one and by the time we come off turn two, Tim was eighth. So, you know, there's zero outside groove right now. Um, unfortunately, I know for the fans, that's not good. Um, I actually talked to Gray a little bit Saturday about, he, he, he talked about how he was uh, contemplating on doing the PJ1 for the outside groove. I think that is a step in the right direction. It would definitely get it to come in a little quicker. Um, I think he's also, before he commits to doing that, I think he's wanting to see what the actual asphalt's gonna do, if it's gonna stay together. Uh, because I feel like there's a few places where it's starting to come up a little bit. Um, and being that's the city's property, I, he doesn't want to put a chemical on brand new asphalt and then it come apart and him be liable for it. Right. That would be the big, <clears throat> excuse me. That would be the biggest thing is, yeah, the city still owns this asphalt. That city asphalt that's out there. And if we throw down PJ one traction compound up there near the wall and something happens, uh, Mr. Great is, certainly does not want to be liable for it. But one more thing as we wrap up this segment here that I want to touch on, I think the other thing that we have to throw into, into the mix here as we move deeper into the summer is the track temperatures are going to change race by race and week by week as the weeks wear on. And you said it's probably going to take an entire season for this track to wear in. And in the midst of races, not only in between weeks is the track temperature going to change based on the weather, but with a new surface like this, it, it throws another level of unpredictability when we get into the deeper part of the summer. So for the Hagelers 200, the track temperature was 117 degrees when we qualified. And uh, last night it was 72 degrees when we qualified. Uh, with that being said, the temperature really took a, took a, we had to take a huge swing to, to adapt to it. It seemed right. like the cooler temperatures, the oils maybe come out of the pavement a little more. It actually felt like it had less grip to me. Um, and that's the thing. I feel like the track's going to change week in, week out. Um, as we go through the heat cycles, as we go through putting the rubber down, as we go through guys using engines, losing engines, things like that. So, uh, in afternoon practice, a guy lost a radiator and, uh, you know, just the water got down the pavement and it felt like it took it forever uh, to get that water run off of it, you know, to where normally they throw down a little oil dry and it's good. Um, that was definitely not the case with the new pavement. It, it took a lot longer to get that cleaned up and get it run in to where we started getting some grip again. Interesting things to look out for as we move along here. But Jonathan, most important thing for you you're one for two so far uh, as we go into the first race of the month of May uh, this upcoming weekend. Congratulations on the victory this past Saturday night, and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much. I appreciate you as always, and uh, we're looking forward to setting on some more poles, winning some more races, and, and uh, being a title contender here at the end of the season for the championship. Jonathan Brown, ladies and gentlemen, look out for him. He's going to be a title contender for sure uh, the rest of the way. When we come back here on the pit stop, Riley Neal became the youngest winner in track history, just 14 years old. We'll dive into how the Southeastern Stokes High School student got it done next.
Welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside you. Special thanks to Jonathan Brown for joining us in that previous segment. A winner Saturday night in one of those two modified 25-lapper uh, heat races as we enter the month of May. Um, the youngest winner in track history Saturday night in the Sportsman Division. Riley Neal. Some of you might know his uncle a little bit better. That's Tommy Neal, the Southeastern Stokes High School student, nephew of Tommy Neal, uh, and native of Walnut Cove. Uh, 14 years old, all of him. Uh, able to fend off his uncle, Tommy Neal, for the victory in the Sportsman Series on Saturday night. His mother, Lori Neal, was there. Riley Neal, his father, um or excuse me, Kevin Neal, his father, there with Riley, um, all celebrating in Victory Lane. He thanked his dad afterwards. Uh, Lori Neal saying that they worked some long nights in the shop, uh, that she and Kevin um, put in a lot of hours and long nights. Um, he led all 20 laps of the first sportsman race, but he had to hold off that hard-charging uncle of his, Tommy Neal, the 2021 champion. He's been racing at Bowman Gray for 40 years. Um, Riley said afterwards he didn't even know who was behind him, but if he did, I'm sure it would have meant something to him. Lori Neal said that uh, her words were, oh crap, is what she was thinking when the big old red number 21 pulled up behind the black and white number 7 of her son. Tommy Neal knew exactly who he was trying to chase down, and he raced his nephew hard, but raced his nephew clean. Now, Riley has some experience uh, elsewhere in the area. Um, he's run races, won races at Caraway Speedway near Ashboro. He's raced with his great uncle at Speedways uh, in Hickory uh, and Orange County. He's got lots of knowledge behind him. Uh, Tommy Neal spoke of how good his sponsors are. His parents work really hard. Of course, he's related to them, but why wouldn't you say that? Uh, he's got a good crew. That's what it takes to, to run races at Bowman Gray. you got to have good sponsors, good family, good crew, uh, as, as grassroots as, uh, as these things are. Tommy Neal also said afterwards, last year he got in my car and drove around with me to Victory Lane. He said, I want to race at Bowman Gray, Papa. Well, son, if you race at Bowman Gray, you'll be stuck here the rest of your life. He said, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> Other uh, results. From Saturday night, the second sportsman race went the way of Amber Lynn. Chris Rob Chase Robertson, excuse me, uh, claimed second place in that one. Tommy Neal finished sixth. Riley was 11th uh, in that second sportsman race. But for the, the latter two, the first race, a lot more important. Okay, as we told you, Jonathan Brown ahead of Jason Myers and Randy Butner. Paul Hall was trailing him, the Virginian. Jonathan Brown, he won both of those 25-lap modifiers. Tim Brown's finished ninth, as you said, as Jonathan, you heard him say, uh, started outside pole, did Tim Brown, but ended up eighth after the first lap. That's how um, what the lack of an outside groove has done so far. Tim Brown scored ninth and third place finishes, respectively, in both races. Ten-time champion Burt Myers, fourth and ninth, respectively. Nate Gregg won the 20-lap street sock event. David Creed finishing behind him in second. A.J. Sanders took home the checkered flag in the first 15-lap stadium stock race of the night. Tyler McDonald scored the win in the nightcap. But again, the big story, Riley Neal, the 14-year-old high school student and nephew of Tommy Neal, 
it's just a tremendous story, and it uh, we talk about it on here a lot, but it it just continues to show what kind of a family atmosphere and and how family regional oriented Bowman Gray Stadium racing is. And you heard the quote from Tommy. Hey, if you race here, you're going to be stuck here for the rest of your life. I, I think if you go talk to Riley Neal and say, hey, you want to race here for the next 40 years like your uncle's been here for 40 years? I think his answer would unequivocally be yes, especially after he tasted that checkered flag in front of all those fans Saturday night. We look ahead to May 7th. Uh, Kevin Powell Motorsports 100, the 100-lap modified race uh, coming up this Saturday night. This coming Saturday night. Sportsman Street Stock and Stadium Stock Divisions still to come. So when we look at where things are going to stand here after this coming week, I think we got a lot out of uh, out of Jonathan's comments and the fact that, you know, it, I don't think the PJ1 would be put down before this week, but we had fit two 25 lappers, so 50 laps on those modifieds, 200 in the first race. Now we're going in between there. We're going for the 100 lapper, but we're not going 250s. We're going for the single 100 lapper, so... Um, a lot of guys are going to have to mess with the handling a little bit. You heard Jonathan say in the middle of the day when they qualify and when they practice, the track is hot. When the sun goes down and the modified race start, it starts, it's the main event. Uh, track temp could drop 40 to 50 degrees, and if there's no PJ1 up there, there really is going to be no outside line. And it makes sense what he said um, about there being such a lack of grip when the track cools down. When the track cools down as much as it does and, and it just continues to cool down over the course of the night, we saw that in the Hayes Jewelers 200. We're going to see that again this Saturday night in the Kevin Powell Motorsports 100. Guys are going to start to lose grip and they're going to start to lose the track and lose the handling on their cars. So whoever nails down the handling, like Jonathan was saying, I think a lot of guys are going to want to enter the turns, hit the apex, and make sure they come off that bump Um no no looser than they entered it. You want to be free on entry, but you want to hit that bump and not be too terribly tight when you come out of it. You don't want to lose the car on the exit of the corner. So especially in a race that's in between the length of the two that we've run, we've run the endurance, we've run the sprint, and now we're going to run the, uh, I guess you could call it the half marathon at this point, of the Kevin Powell Motorsports 100. That coming up this Saturday night, along with, again, Sportsman Street Stock and Stadium Stock, as Riley Neal, the 14-year-old, will look to defend uh, his sportsman title from this past week. Special thanks to Jonathan Brown, our producer, Desmond Johnson, as always, and all of you for listening here to the Pit Stop on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. We'll see you at the Madhouse this Saturday night for the Kevin Powell Motorsports 100, and we'll see you back here next week to break it all down.